Good morning. You awake? You've had a long, busy week. I'm surprised that you're awake. I wouldn't be right now. <laughs> um, would you guys go ahead and open up to uh, Matthew chapter 18, please? We're going to be uh, back and forth in some different passages. Uh, we'll start there. Um, and I just want to go ahead and uh, pray one more time, if that's okay with you, because I always need all the prayer I can get. I'll let you finish turning there, and then we'll pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity you've given us to dig into your word. Thank you, Lord, that you have preserved your word for thousands of years because you have a specific message for us right here this morning. Thank you for this conference. Thank you for speaking to uh, everyone in this room uh, for consecutive days. I praise you, Lord, for what I've heard went on last night, uh, for the extended prayer and worship time that you gave and uh, the, the confessing of sin and the defeating of strongholds. We praise you for that and ask that you'd continue that work this morning and through the rest of this conference. Lord, I ask that you'd help me, that as I preach, it would be an act of worship to you. Help all of us in here to listen as an act of worship, Lord. Help us to, to focus our minds. Um, give us grace because it's the end of a long week. And uh, we ask that you'd help us so it might feel a little bit like sponges just full of water, but help us just to take in a little bit more of what you have to say to us. Uh, we ask these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. Amen. Curious, I haven't been here this week. What's What have been your favorite parts of the conference so far? Has, has the Lord impressed anything in particular on your heart? Any, any truths that, that you've been ex- especially excited about? That's one of my favorites. Identity in Christ. Um, you're united to Him, right? You, you're, you can't be separated. Any other favorite things that you've you've been reminded of this week? Assured of? Amen. Yeah, especially Christ's own messages, right? A child can understand it, but it still has meat for us to to chew on today as uh, as teens and adults. Yeah. Um, well. I'd like to uh, to give you some ad- advice out of Scripture on how you've you've been soaking in all this good stuff, and I imagine that I mean this is EI, so I imagine you've been learning all about spiritual disciplines and how how to walk with the Lord personally, right? And I want to help you put it in context as to where do I live out my Christian walk? What what does that look like on a daily basis? Um, because um, I think that there is a uh, something that that we don't really understand very well in our day and age, um, something we've overlooked a little bit. And so I want to ask you, where do I live out my Christian walk? And you might think that that's a trick question, that the answer is, well, everywhere, right? Because Jesus Christ is with me all the time. So wherever I am, that's where I live out my Christian walk. That's true. That's 100% correct. Um, but... You know, don't don't tune out and take a nap just yet, okay? Um, because um, there, the Lord has called you. He intends for you to live out your Christian life in a particular context, particular people. You have a particular purpose as a Christian. And yes, you are to be a Christian wherever you are, absolutely. But he has a, a, a specific way of supporting that, a specific way of working that out. Um, that's 
that's the way that God's made us. That's the way he's wired us. And if you imagine a machine that you have, you have a lot of machines with you. You've at least got a phone with you, I imagine. Um, it only works in a certain way. It only works to do certain things. You've been, you've been created to work in a certain, certain way in a certain context. Not just the way you were made, um, as a, as a human being, but the way that you were remade when, when Christ saved you. If, if he has saved you and baptized you into his, into his life, then, uh, he, he has remade you. He has reborn you and, and he intends for you to work in a particular way. So we're going to look at what that way is. So we're going to start with a very, uh, familiar passage. Uh, you should be in Matthew chapter 18. I want us to start in, uh, cha- in chapter 18, verse 12. It's Matthew chapter 18, verse 12. We're going to read through verse 14. Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. I'm sorry, that's verse 10. Sorry. <laughs> verse 12. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep, and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? And if he should find it, assuredly, I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the ninety-nine that did not go astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. And by the way, if mine sounds a little bit different, I'm reading out of the New King James um, so if you have a King James or an ESV, it'll sound just a little bit different, uh, but it's still pretty similar. So you're probably pretty pretty familiar with this parable. I imagine a lot of you have, have heard this many times, but I wonder if you've looked at it in its full context and what surrounds it. Well, let's look at the story first, right? We have a, we have a sheep. We have a hundred sheep, but then we have one specific sheep that's gotten itself in some trouble, right? It's gotten lost. It's wandered out into the mountains, apparently, and... The farmer does not have an easy task to, to, to get it back, right? It says that he's going to have, if, if he's going to get the sheep back, you see that in verse 12, he has to leave the other 99, he has to leave them alone, and he has to go out into the mountains. So he has to go hiking. <laughs> he probably has to take a day pack and some water because he doesn't know where the sheep is, right? He's got to go find it first of all. And then at the end of the long hike, could be a long hike. Hopefully it's just around the corner, but he might have a long hike ahead of him. And he's got to carry it back probably, right? Have you ever tried to uh, to corral a sheep? Any of you uh, grow up on a farm? Yeah, yeah. it's not easy, right? <laughs> my my, uh, my brother-in-law raised uh, goats uh, for a while, and they they like to just go all over, um, and uh, they'll they'll just skitter away from you if they're not familiar with you. He probably has to carry that sheep back on his back. Um, that's it's going to be arduous, right? He doesn't have to do that, but he's not going to let one of his sheep get away. So he goes after it, right? If you are a Christian, it's because God came after you because He loves you, and He determined, I am going to save this one who is wandering. And Jesus is likening himself to that shepherd, right? He's likening himself to that farmer. I'm going to go after. I have gone after. He has taken on a difficult task of saving you. It was not, not easy for him. It was, it was painful, wasn't it? It didn't just mean enduring the cross. It certainly meant that. And that was the ultimate experience of pain. But he had to humble himself, right, for, for 30 years. I mean, he was, he was in the, he, he was, he was a baby, right? The, the almighty, all-powerful God, the creator of the universe, was a baby dependent on mommy to bring him everything, right? And then he, he grew up being cursed, being spat upon, 
being told that he's possessed by demons when actually he is the one who's come to banish demons and to uh, imprison them <laughs> for eternity, right? And and he has God's message, and yet he's being told that he is absolutely despicable under Satan's power. These are horrible things. He had to undergo all of that in order to save any one of us. Um, so he's li- Jesus here in this passage is likening himself to that farmer. This is God's love for his people. He's, he is the farmer who goes after the sheep. He intends to love you. He intends to love me. And he does that in Jesus Christ, in his son. Now, I said just a few minutes ago, you might know this passage pretty well. You're familiar with this. And, oh, this is just another evangelistic message. It's not, actually. Um, let's keep going. Let's keep reading in, in uh, verse 15. So he's just talked about the rejoicing over the sheep. He's just said, it's not the will of your father who is in heaven that any one of these little ones should perish, right? That's you and me, these little ones, right? And then he says a passage that we never tend to connect to the the sheep passage. He says about church discipline. He says, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. What does that have to do with the words that just came before it about seeking out sheep. But this this is Jesus' own sermon, right? He, there is obviously a logical connection between these two. Let's see if we can figure it out. So let's reread 14 again, then we'll go into 15 and keep going. Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these, that even one of these little ones should perish. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. He's speaking to Christians now, right? Who who have other Christian brothers and sisters who, who might be sinning. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Now, the previous story was a really happy one, wasn't it? About the sheep being found and Jesus' love for me. And now he's talking about putting people out of the church. But these are right next to each other. What is it that he's saying? Well, this is a continuation of that sheep parable. And he said, I'm not going to let any of these sheep get away from me. I determined to love them. I'm going after them. It's not my will that any of them should perish. And then he says, I'm going to use other believers in order to accomplish this. Realize that? If you're a Christian this morning, and I realize some of you may have only been Christians for a few hours even, a few minutes perhaps, but he has brought you into this wonderful society of people that we call the church. And and God says here that when I go after people, I do it through my church. If my church is speaking to you, listen up, because I'm speaking to you. The church is important. And that is how we are to live our life as Christians. I said, where? It's within the church. You're not a lone wolf Christian. God does not intend for you to just Get out on your own and try and figure stuff out with no help. 
And he intends to speak to you through his, through his church. And that means your pastors, yes. That means when you go to, go to church on Sunday, he's going to speak to you through the pastor, through the, the message from the pulpit, through things like this, this morning. But that also means through your other brothers and sisters in the church. When you, when you go to church, I grew up, my, my, uh, my family didn't really have a good understanding of what the church is. And, um, we would, we would get to church five minutes late and, and then as soon, you know, we'd, we'd shuffle in the back and it was always embarrassing because we were always, um, trying to find a seat during the singing. And then as soon as the message over, bam, we're out of there. We didn't stick around to talk to anybody or anything. And we were missing out on what, what Jesus Christ intends for the church to be because there's much that goes on in that awkward meet and greet time while the music's still playing and you have to shake hands, right? That's actually supposed to be a blessing. Um, and especially after that, when when you're uh, talking after the, the message and uh, you're hanging out with your friends at church, that's intended to be a time for you to sharpen each other and lift one another up. God speaks to us through the church. And so Jesus here, he's, he's just done saying, I'm going to go after my people. I don't want any of them to stray off into the mountains. I'm going to go after them. I'm going to put my hand on them. I'm going to pull them back. He does that through the church. See, first he takes just one person, then he takes two or three. And then he takes the whole church together as a body saying, come back, we love you, we don't want you to sin like this. And your church is the ultimate expression of God's love for you. And you may suffer from an unhealthy attitude towards the church. I want to challenge you to correct that. And I want us to look today at what the church is intended to be. We have just a couple more verses here and then we'll turn the page. Let's keep going with this story just a little bit longer. After saying that if somebody refuses even to hear the church, treat them like a heathen and a tax collector. You know, he's saying, treat them as though they're not saved. The final, the final verdict is with me, Jesus says. But for now, I'm letting you guys just say that, yeah, we're, we're going to have to treat them as an un, unsaved person. Then go on to verse 18. He says, assuredly, most certainly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth, he's speaking to the church as a whole now, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. See, the church has authority. The church actually has authority to command and authority to make certain pronouncements about people's uh, people's spiritual health. We're not to do that lightly. We're not to abuse that power. But the church stands in for Jesus Christ. This is a big deal. And then he says, again, like to just to finally emphasize my point, Jesus says, again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for my for them by my Father in heaven. Whatever you do here on earth, my Father's going to do in heaven. See, the church represents Jesus Christ on earth. He's not he's not on earth anymore, is he? At least not in his bodily form. He's not he's not walking around um, in sandals anymore, right? We are his his feet and his hands and his liver and his kidneys. We are walking around for him, and we are doing things in his place. He is doing those things through us. Finally, he says, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, 
I am there in the midst of them. He's not only talking about when you pray with two of your friends in, in your room up around the corner. He's talking about when you gather together to worship him. He's talking about he's talking about church discipline here, isn't he? He's talking about going after people who are wandering from Christ's love and are, are in danger of, of losing it altogether. He's saying, go after them. If, if two or three, if all I need are two or three of you to agree, I will work right through you. But all the better if it's the whole church working together in concert, right? Even better. So hopefully I've convinced you that Jesus Christ acts, especially through his church. When, when the church acts, that's Jesus Christ acting through the church. And now he intends you, he intends for you to be a part of that and to contribute to that. So what does life as an active church member actually look like? Let's go to Ephesians chapter two. Ephesians chapter two. We're going to, we're going to look at verses 19 to 22. We have three analogies here where where Paul is going to tell us. We just read Matthew. Now we're going to be in Paul the rest of the, the morning. Paul says, let me tell you what the church is. And he gives three analogies. There's more than this. In fact, we just sung about, we, sung, sang, we just sang about the church being the bride of Christ. Did you catch that as we were singing that? That was pretty cool. Well, I'm not going to go to that analogy today, but there's a couple of other analogies that, that Paul uses. First, he says that we're we're a household. And then he goes on to say that we're a temple. Uh, so Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 19, listen to this. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. Your fellow citizens with the saints and your members of the household of God. That's a pretty awesome thing. You've been welcomed into his household. You are a member of of God's own family. Take a minute to digest that. The creator of everything, the king of the universe, says, come on in, the fridge is over there. <laughs> take a seat on the couch, take your shoes off, make yourself at home. You know, he's, he's got a bed for you upstairs. He's welcomed you into his home, and that's home. You're not just staying there as a guest. You're in his family for good. This is your heritage now. You're part of a larger family. You're part of this awesome society that God is building in his son. One of you mentioned about your identity being in Christ. You are in Christ. You are in his son. Who you are is right wrapped up in with who Jesus Christ is. You are a part of his family and in verses 20, 21, he says, we're actually also part of a building. So that's our second analogy. You have a family or a household. Then you have uh, you, you have a building, and it's a, a specific type of building. 
He says, you've been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself is the chief cornerstone, the the very first and most important brick that holds it all together. If you take that out, it's all going to crumble. So we're built upon Jesus Christ. And then then he uses other specific people to build the foundation of that church, right? You've got the apostles and prophets right here in your Bible. That's all we need. We don't have more prophets and apostles today, right? We, 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 you have the foundation of the church right here in your Bible. And he says, uh, in whom the whole building, you are part of this building and you're being fitted together like bricks coming together and cement and you're growing into a holy temple in the Lord. So it's some sort of supernatural construction because it's growing, right? Almost like it's a living organism that's being built because this we we've never seen anything like the church in human history this is this is a new this is a new thing this is different even from israel that was a nation we we are we are a holy nation but we're more than that we've been brought brought together from from every part of the earth and uh there there are people on on all six continents today by the name of named in the name of Christ and they are part of our family. And what is a temple? That's what we're being built together into. We're a temple. And if you've been a Christian for any sort of time, you've you've probably heard the term that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit, right? You personally as an individual are a temple of the Holy Spirit. That's 100% true. The Bible tells us that. What is a temple? Well, that's, in, in Old Testament times, that was where God dwelled, right? And in fact, there were temples all over the world. In fact, uh, just down the road from here, um, those of you that are locals might have been to Furman University. There is a, there is a Shinto temple on that, that campus. And, uh, that, that was, that, that's a temple where they believed that deities dwelled. Uh, there was only one true temple in the whole world, and that was, the, the temple in Israel where where God actually dwelt. Now, of course, he's he's far too big. He's infinite, right? He couldn't be uh, kept in just one building, just as he can't be kept in just one body, right? But he dwelled there. He he con- condescended and he he met with his people in that temple. He that was the only true temple in the history of the world, the one in Israel. Um, but there were temples all over the the world. They and the people receiving this message in Ephesus. What happened in Ephesus? You guys remember what happened in Ephesus? If you're familiar with the book of Acts, there's a crazy riot there, right? All about their, all about one of their goddesses, Diana. I believe that's Artemis, if you know your Greek mythology. Uh, they, they were rioting about this, this goddess that, uh, the Christians are, are taking away worship of, of the goddess Diana. And they were 100% right. That's what, that's what Christians wanted to do. They wanted to do away with worship of any false god. They were familiar with a temple is. And he's saying a, te- a temple is no longer just a building. A temple is people. People coming together, specifically the people of God, no one else. Just the church. The church is a temple. Now you, if you are a Christian, if you have trusted Christ, that you are in him now, that when he died on the cross, he died in your place. He, he, ha- he hung on your cross. Not Barabbas's cross. You remember that? He, it was Barabbas's cross that he was hanging on. In the last minute, Pilate said, all right, Barabbas, you're free to go. Jesus, you can go up on Barabbas's cross. That's Robert's cross. That's Jim's cross. 
That's Peter's cross. That's Joe's cross. When I have said, yeah, that's, that's my cross that he died on. He died in my place. And I'm trusting that he paid the penalty for me. And when he rose again, God was declaring Jesus Christ cleared of all charges, right? Because he was, he was convicted on false testimony. You remember that? It was false witnesses brought in to condemn Jesus Christ. And, and God the Father is saying, yeah, they're all liars. Get up! Right? And he gets, he comes out of the tomb and he displays that for everybody. The, the Roman soldiers scatter. They, they, they're freaked out. When, when God declared Jesus Christ cleared of all charges, he declared me cleared of all charges if I'm trusting in Christ, right? If that's what it is to be a Christian, if you are, if you are a Christian, you've trusted in his death and resurrection to free you from sin and clear you from all charges, then he has put his Holy Spirit in you, right? You are, a, you are not only an image bearer of God, you are now a, a walking, talking temple of God. But there's something even cooler than that. That's you as an individual. But when you come together, when you get together on Sundays and on Wednesday nights, specifically with the purpose of worshiping your God, you are coming together with all of these other temples. And all of these mini temples are coming together like living stones, the Apostle Peter tells us. That really is what we are. And we're building a larger temple. And so although the Holy Spirit dwells in you, lives in you, he can't be separated from you if you're, if you're in Christ, if you're a Christian. Although that's true, although he's always present with you, do you realize that when you gather together for worship on Sundays, and there's a sense in which this isn't church right now, but there's a sense in which he's doing this now, the Holy Spirit is especially present in a special way when when Christ's church comes together to worship. It's a really cool thing. You, you see that here? You are, you are a, the, the whole building. The whole building is being fitted together and growing into a holy temple in the Lord. So it's a really special thing when we get to go to church and we get to have God come and visit with us in a way that he hasn't before. It's, it's not the building. Some of you, maybe your churches just meet in a strip mall or in, in a, a school gym or something. That's fine. That doesn't matter. The body of Christ is meeting in that strip mall. You might have a beautiful sanctuary, your, your church. It doesn't matter. God is there because of the people, not the building. I love the stained glass windows in my church, but that's not what makes it a church. What makes it a church is that God's there and God's there because his people are there. When you worship, God is present in a very special way when you worship with with your brothers and sisters. Please worship individually. But when you get when you get to go to church, God is present in a special way. So that's one of the, the uh, or two, two of the analogies that Paul gives us. He gives us another one about what the church is. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I'm, I imagine that you've heard a lot about this one. You've pr- probably even used some of this language this week. First Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to take this one fast. I've only got so much time. We're going to take this one fast. We're going to go from from verse 12 down to uh, verse 27. 
Um, so let's let's try and try and keep up. Let's get through this quickly together. First Corinthians chapter twelve, starting in verse twelve. For as the body is one and has many members, he's talking about a human body now. But all the members of that one body, if if the word member is kind of confusing, you just think body part. That's what he means. This is one member of the body. This is another member of the body. This is another member of the body. This is another member of the body. As the body is one and has many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body. See, that's why when we come together, it's so special. Whether Jews or Greeks... Whether slaves or free, doesn't matter what your socioeconomic status is, doesn't matter what your race is, all have been made to drink into one spirit, for in fact the body is not one member, but many. Now, a minute, a minute ago, Mr. Harris walked across here, right? And he, he walked across and he spoke to you for, for a few minutes. And you know, the whole time that I was sitting over there, not once did I think, huh, there's a collection of body parts talking to us. That'd be ridiculous, right? Mr. Harris is not a collection of body parts. He's Mr. Harris, right? He's one person. You never say that, oh, I see two arms, two legs and a belly button. Oh, and a head too, right? That, no, I see a person, right? You see one person. And what, uh, what uh, Paul is emphasizing here is that when you guys come together, you are one person. You are the person of Christ together. That doesn't mean that you're God. I don't mean that in some blasphemous way. But Jesus Christ is the head of the body. He is the brain. He is the mind. My, my brain just told me to move my, my arms like that. My brain is directing my speech and moving my tongue and my lips and making everything work together. But you don't say that, you don't think in terms of my brain and my lips and my tongue. You just think in terms of the old fogey standing up talking to you, right? One person. And that, that's what he's emphasizing here. The church is one organism, one person, one body acting together. And Jesus is directing them all so that when the arm moves, it's because Jesus told it to move. Let's keep going. Verse 15. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body. That's kind of a ridiculous, ridiculous example, actually, isn't it? Can you imagine a talking foot saying, "I'd really rather be a hand," right? Um, and then, and 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 then he says, "And if the ear should say, because I'm not an ear, I'm not of the body." I might wonder if the ear is actually a mouth if it's talking. But anyway, um, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an, were an eye, let's say that. Every part of the body says, I'd really rather not be a kneecap or a liver or a kidney or a hair follicle. I would really rather be an eye. He says, well, if the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? If the whole, if the whole body were, were hearing, and if, if everyone's an ear, where would the smelling be, right? You can't all be pastors, is what he's saying. If the whole church is pastors, well, you're you're missing out. You, the, the church isn't functioning right, and and that's a disfigured body. If you're dissatisfied with your role in the church, he says, don't be. God made you the way He intended to make you, and you have a crucial role 
in the body. And you might not like that you're not very visible in church. You're, you're one of the, the parts we just don't see. You can't see my, my stomach, right? You can't see my heart or my pancreas. But if any of those were missing, I wouldn't be able to preach right now. You are a vital part of the church. When you don't show up, when you're not involved in the church, or when you're just kind of passive and you're, you're barely there on Sunday because mom and dad dragged you. The church is disfigured. The church is sick. It's unhealthy. It's not working right. You're a crucial part of that church. They need you. Your brothers and sisters. Remember, you're in the household of God. Your brothers and sisters need you. Don't hold back on them. Be kind to them. Love your brothers and sisters. Love your family. Get involved in the church. God has a specific role for you in the church. You are participating in Christ's mission to save the world. And he has a particular role for you to play. It might not be the role you would have chosen. But he has a role for you. My brother recently moved about nine months ago, moved to a new city. And he's he's trying to figure out where he fits. He's trying to find the right church. And he, he started attending a church. And they asked him to be a uh, Sunday school teacher probably a little too soon before he had been there long enough. But he jumped in because he's wondering, well, maybe this is where the Lord has for me to serve the church. Maybe, you know, I've never thought of myself as being much of a Sunday school teacher, but maybe the Lord has gifted me in such a way and I don't even realize. So I want to I want to jump in and find out if that's that's the role that the Lord wants me to to uh, fill in the church. He, he found out that, yeah, maybe not. That might not be God's role for me, but that's OK. He's he's trying to participate and he's trying to figure out what that role is that the Lord has for him going to jump down to verse 26 can you go with me you look at that with me if one member suffers all the members suffer with it you ever like you know hammer some nails and you bang your thumb right all you can think about for the next several minutes right maybe longer than that is how much your thumb hurts the thumb's pretty small but when one member of the body hurts you're aware of it all the time right my my poor brother, not the one I just told you about, my other brother, he has something wrong with his eye right now. And it's, it's all puffy. He sent me a picture. It's absolutely disgusting. I won't show it to you. I won't project it on there. It's really nasty. But um, he, you know, for a while, all he was thinking about was his eye. Usually he doesn't think about his eye because it's working right. But when it's not working right, he notices. You're part of a family. When one of your family members is suffering, when they're upset, when they're crying, God intends for you to be there and cry with them and comfort them. But he keeps going. He says, if one member's honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. You are more than just yourself. You are, you, you are a part of something huge. This is God coming into the world in a special way. We're running out of time. I'm still going to try and cram one more in. Go ahead and turn back with me to, to Romans. Just a few pages back. Romans chapter 12. We're going to read verses 4 to 8. This is going to be some similar language here. Verses 4 and 5. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ 
and individually members of one another. Okay, that's a good review. Now let's look at 6, 7, and 8. Okay. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, if that's your gift, we might say preaching today, let us prophesy in a proportion to our faith. Or ministry, if that's your gift, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, that means encouragement. He who gives, give with liberality, give generously. Some some of you may be very generous people. God actually intends you to use that as your gift. That's how you will benefit the church. We have generous people in our church. Some of you here attend my church. You know who I'm talking about. There's some generous people in our church. And I cannot imagine our church functioning without their generosity. I don't just mean that they, they put larger checks than everyone else in the offering plate. That's not remotely what I mean, actually. I mean, they're just always kind with their time, with their money, with their material possessions. Lifting up the church, keeping it running. He who gives with liberality, he who leads, let him lead with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. God, if you are a Christian, God has given you at least one spiritual gift. There are more gifts aside aside from these ones listed here. That he's given you at least one because the Holy Spirit's in you. He, He promised to give you at least one gift. And he intends for you to use it, not for yourself, but to, to benefit the rest of the body. It's not about you. Don't show off your gifts. Just use it to, to benefit other people, to love other people in your church, first and foremost. And then you work together as a church to go and evangelize the world. Let your church help you discover your gifts. I told you, my brother jumped in when they asked him to, to teach and uh, he discovered, yeah, I'm not sure that that uh, teaching is my spiritual gift, but it was time well spent, and I got to I got to know those younger guys that I was getting to, getting to teach. It was a blessing to him. I love the church, and I'm not just saying that because I'm a pastor. I haven't always loved the church, but I've loved the church for much longer than than than, than since being a pastor. You know, my wife and I moved here seven years ago from Pennsylvania, and we we really didn't know anybody here. And within just a few weeks, I don't think it was even a month, we found the church that we're at now. And they became a family to us really fast. The Lord said very clearly to us, this is where I want you to be. I know there are a bunch of other really good churches around here. Yeah, I know you like that one. I know you like that one. This is the one I have for you. And and these people, when when I go out to, to another event and there's a num- number of people, like I was at a wedding a couple weeks ago, and a bunch of people at my church, I feel like I'm at home. I'm with my family. All my family is either in Maryland or in Tennessee. But, but I've got, that's my biological family, but my spiritual family is right here. And, and, and I feel at home, even at a funeral, there's a sense in which I feel at home. I'm comforted. I'm with my brothers and sisters and moms and dads and, and weird uncles, you know? <laughs> and it's a blessing to be with them. The church is an amazing thing. It's a supernatural entity. God has brought all these people together. Yeah, colorful people from different ethnic backgrounds, different language groups. Different personalities. There are people at my church that, humanly speaking, we shouldn't really get along. But there's God has done something special that I love this guy. I love this lady. 
because we're family now. There's something deeper holding us together. Humanly speaking, it shouldn't make sense. It shouldn't be there. It's a supernatural thing. The church is awesome. And one of the primary benefits of you becoming a Christian, of Jesus saving you, one of the things he had in mind right before he went to the cross, do you remember that? In John 17, when he's praying his prayer as the the high priest about to go to the cross, he's saying, Father, make sure that they're all one, that they're of one mind. One of the primary benefits of saving you is that you would be one of that one. That you would be a member of the church. That you'd have a family who love you unconditionally and who are willing to even go after you when you're sinning. Lovingly bringing you back so that you don't wander away from God. I want to take just a couple more minutes to suggest how we might be able to apply this. You guys need to be in church. You need to be there for corporate worship. There's this growing idea that it's just as acceptable for me to stay home and uh, on a Sunday and just listen to a listen to a sermon and that's just as good. Hey, I encourage you to listen to to sermons at home. Please do that. We we live in a time where you have unprecedented access to the word of God, unprecedented access to amazing Bible teachers from the last 2000 years. You can you can pull up a sermon not a recording, but you can you can pull up a written sermon of a guy who lived 1700 years ago. You can pull up recordings of some of the greatest preachers in our day or or the last couple generations and you can listen to his his words. A hundred years ago you couldn't do that. Listen to listen to sermons from home, that's great, but but the church is more than just one message from the pulpit. You're coming together with your brothers and sisters. You are worshiping together. Right? You're singing, you're putting money in the offering plate, that's an act of worship. Our church doesn't do the, you know, give online thing. We, we don't do that. I'm not coming down on churches that do that, but we, we like that that is a part of our worship service, that, that the plate comes across and we get the extra time of music to meditate on the message of, of the hymn or something else that's been said in the, in the service. Right, that's part of our worship too. Your fellowship with other believers, that's important. Don't just duck out as soon as you, as soon as the, the message is over. Yeah, sometimes we have to do that because there's a, there's a dinner you got to get to or something. But go intending to to give to the church. Don't just be a passive observer in the church. One of my teachers in uh, in seminary said that he, whenever he goes to church, he doesn't let himself leave until he's been able. He, two things: he has to use one of his gifts to bless someone else in the church. And, and he doesn't, he doesn't let Sunday school count. He teaches Sunday school. He says, that doesn't count. I always do that. I've got to find someone in inter, individual interactions that I'm going to bless. And I need to, I need to benefit from one of my brothers and sisters too, because I'm not just there to give. I'm there, I'm there to receive as well. I, I, so he says, I'm not going to leave until someone in church has, has helped me with something, blessed me in some way. And I'm, I'm not going to leave until I've done the same for somebody else. I suggest Maybe you consider taking that up as a rule of thumb for yourselves. Now, if my attitude is what's required of me just to be a a, a family member, right? What's required of me if I'm a Christian? Well, I don't have to go to church. I'm saved anyway. You're missing the point. Can you imagine that you're saved out of an orphanage and you're, you're brought into a new family and you've not just got parents, you've got brothers and sisters 
and every time they they sit down for family dinner, you say, I want to have my meal in my room. And you can hear them laughing and joking and having a wonderful time as a family. And every so often you hear you hear them calling you, Robert, come down, finish your chicken down here. Come on, we're having a great time. And every time you ignore them, well, that's what you're doing when you're just having your meal in your room when you listen to a sermon at home. And you're not worshiping and you're not gathering together for the larger body of Christ. God intends for you to be a part of that. It's important. I want to encourage you to have the right outlook on the church. Have you heard the term when you're trying to to share the gospel with somebody or maybe someone shared it with you and they tell you that if you're without God, you have a a God-shaped hole somewhere in your in yourself, right? If you heard that that term, that's a pretty popular term. If you're a Christian who's not involved in a church, you have a similar shaped hole in your life because God intends to meet you through the church. And yeah, you can stay home and you can read your Bible and I encourage you to spend time with the Lord in your in your in reading your Bible, spending time in prayer every day. But he helps you to understand that Bible a lot better when you are receiving help from the body of Christ. Not necessarily from your pastor, but from your brothers and sisters who come around you. Try to establish some friendships in your church. If 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 you don't have any friends from your church and they're all just, you know, people from school or from your soccer team. None of your friends are from from your church. You're missing out. God intends for them to be your main support network. It's not about what's the minimum requirement. It's what has God saved me to? What has he given me? Let me take full advantage of all of the rich things that God has purchased at such a great price with Christ's own blood. Let me take full advantage. This was expensive. I want to enjoy every benefit. Don't just be a passive consumer in your church. And uh, you know, people just a little bit older than you that are in, in college or just getting out, they, they tend to like to, you know, if you're in a, an area, you might not be in an area like this, but if you're in an area with a lot of good churches, they go, yeah, I'm going to go there for, for, for the morning service. I'll go there in the midweek. It's like a buffet, yeah, you know, I'll I'll have some some beans, but I don't want the carrots. Uh, chicken looks good, beef looks good. I'm gonna skip all the pasta. I don't like I don't like gluten, yeah, and I'm gonna. Uh, now I don't want ice cream today, but I'll have the cherry pie. I'm gonna have to get around to the end of the line. That's not what God intends for us to do with church. All you're doing is consuming. He intends for you to get involved. I encourage you to get involved primarily in one church. I'm not saying don't ever visit at other other meetings, uh, and it's good to to interact with other other believers from other churches. But plug yourself in, plant yourself, contribute to that body, because God God need he they need you there. God intends for you to to build up your brothers and sisters. They need you. You're an integral part of that church, and seek out a ministry that you can get involved in, whether it's running sound. Or helping in the min- helping in the nursery, singing in the choir, you are needed. Whether it's just some ministry, there's ladies in our church that just they don't have a formal ministry on Sundays, but they write a ton of cards and they mail them to people. There, there's several ladies in our church that do that. We're we're often receiving cards of encouragement, just nice words of encouragement. We read that just a minute ago. He who exhorts an exhortation, they're using their gift of encouragement, exhortation. 
If you're in Christ, you belong to a supernatural society. It's this living being, and yeah, it's full of imperfect, flawed people, hypocrites even. But God is slowly, and he's doing this with them together. He's making them less flawed, more perfect, not hypocritical, but genuine. You'll see some of that stuff in the church. That's not an adequate reason not to go. Go and help them be less hypocritical. Point that out to them. They need you. And you need them. Because that is where, in their love, in their learning, with you learning together with them who God is, that is where God intends you to grow. And when when you take the gospel to the world, when you share the gospel with your classmates, you've got a church praying for you and encouraging you and giving you other ideas and saying, yeah, you might might be able to do it better this way. You're doing, it's a church effort. So let's thank this great God for saving us into a new superpowered family. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus Christ, first and, first and foremost. Thank you that because of his work on the cross, his dying for us, his rising again for us, you baptizing us into him, not by water, but by the spirit, that he has become, yes, he's the king of the universe. Yes, he is our God, but he is also our older brother. And you've given us so many brothers and sisters. Thank you for that, God. Help us to enjoy them and take full advantage of them. Please bless the rest of this day. Help us to to receive the word you have for us and help us to see our brothers and sisters as they truly are in Christ. Help us to love them and go after them in love and encourage them and seek love from them as, as though we're going to you. In Jesus' name we ask these things, amen.